0: Yeah, I mean, so for example, one of the reasons, as you guys were asking earlier, one of the things that, the reason I have been thinking about this for two decades is my strong conviction that evangelicals, uh, whatever that term means these days, but evangelicals in North America, for example, um, I think have a very weak doctrine of creation. Yeah. Now people are like, what do you mean? We, we, we debate about creation all the time. I say, what <laughs> Six you, days what versus, you, yeah, whatever. Exactly. I ask, what do you mean by creation? Yep. And everyone will say, what they're really arguing about is how God did it and when he did it.
1: Welcome to the Guilt Grace Gratitude podcast featuring Peter Bell and Nick Fulweiler. This is a show about Christian doctrine for everyone from the historic Reformed tradition delivered by two friends in an unscripted dialogue. Join us as we discuss how the finished work of Jesus Christ changes everything.
2: Hey, y'all, this is Peter Bell, one of the co-hosts of this podcast. We started a Bible study in Santa Ana under the oversight of Oceanside United Reformed Church. We've got a growing group of people from a wide variety of backgrounds with the hope and prayer that we will plant a church in Santa Ana this summer. If you're looking for a church that preaches the gospel every week and has close-knit fellowship, contact us at santaanareformed@gmail.com at gmail.com or find the link. In our show notes to be added to our list.
1: Hello, everyone. Yet once again, it's another day of fresh grace and mercy. This is the Guilt, Grace, Gratitude podcast where we bridge the gap to reformed Christian theology for your listening pleasure. And today we have a book club episode with Kelly Capick, and it's going to be on his new book, Your Only Human How Your Limit reflect God's design and why that's good news. And it's published by Brazos Press. And we're going to get into that conversation here in a moment. Uh, first, just as a reminder about some of the show notes, uh, you're going to find a link to Brazos Press. You can uh, order this book for yourself. There's also a link to the Society of Reformed Podcasters. That's a group of other like-minded reformed podcasts out there that we're a member of. And there's also a, some information to become a bridge builder to support our show, as well as a local church finder where you can click that link, type in your zip code, find the closest Reformed church near you. So yeah, we will jump right in and have Peter further introduce Kelly Kapik.
2: Yeah, we got Dr. Kelly Kapik. He's a professor of theological <laughs> studies, and he's in the biblical and theological side of Covenant College. On Lookout Mountain in Georgia, so we are very excited to have him. I've read a couple of his books before this, so it's it's a, it's a pleasure having him on to talk about this book. Mm-hmm. And we're we're talking about of all things the, the finitude of humans the, and why why this is a good thing. So thanks for coming on, Dr. Kappich. Oh, it's good
0: to be with you guys. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, yeah. This is yeah. Thank
2: you. This is a, it's a pleasure for me, and I I know it's the same for for Nick. I read your your and I'm sure a lot of people have read this book, the the little book for new theologians. Mm-hmm. We read that at Biola uh, as oh, first good. year theological students. So ever since then, I was like, oh, I wonder who this guy is.
0: Yeah. And so 10 years later, we now meet. Often it's, I wonder who that woman is. I really respect her. <laughs> yeah, <And> so- <laughs> it's, it's, it, it must be, yeah. Which I'm happy about. That's, I'm fine with that too. So. Exactly. <laughs> We've
2: Yeah, one of our professors or kind of adjunct is named Kim. Yeah. And so some people think, oh, that's so. That's and he's at, he preaches at a reformed church, and people are like, how's this work? Yeah, yeah. And then there's another yeah. guy, Meredith, who died 15 years yeah. ago. Some people are like, oh, is that Meredith is that a, Klein? Yep. Yeah, yeah. 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 Is that a lady? And so, yeah, it's, yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure, you've, I'm sure you've heard it. You've seen it before. It's great. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And cool. uh, if I can, real quick, just start with kind of a broad yeah. overview question of this it's, um, so you, you've written some theological works. Uh, both kind of layman and more uh, more kind of academic books what like what is this book what are you trying to do with this book what's what's kind of the the premise of this book that you want to get across to your readers
0: yeah it's a good question I mean I'm really I'm driven primarily to kind of help um Christians think about their faith and live their faith in ways that make sense um and you you mentioned the little book i mean for me i'm very interested in theology as practical that mm-hmm. that i i really do think we've kind of created this false dilemma of you know a dichotomy with with knowledge on one hand and life and practices mm-hmm. on the other and um it, it just you know, theology is not meant for academics. Theology is meant for all of God's people, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, without sounding cheesy, <laughs>
3: we're
0: we're all theologians whether yep. we know it or not. So the only yeah. question is, are we good ones or bad that's, ones? That's and right. Yeah. Yep. So um, this this is a this idea of you're only human is something I've been literally thinking about for at least twenty years, and um, so it was fun to. You're find a human, to a so that chance. helps. Yeah. <laughs> Well, what drives it is when you ask why, what's the kind of premise and what's driving it, it, it grows out of my own struggles because Mm
3: -hmm.
0: when I put my head on the pillow at night, I often feel like crap. That was not, you know, I didn't get done what I thought I should get done. And I feel this constant low level of guilt and Mm -hmm. shame and, Mm -hmm. and, um, kind of starting to think through that in some fresh ways and realizing how much we have baptized themes like productivity Mm. and efficiency and raising questions about that from a Christian perspective. Like, does God really expect me to constantly do more? Mm. Does God expect me to know all of these things, to be all of these places? And so, um, I, uh, it's a longer story, but my wife went through cancer and now deals with chronic pain and has uh, for, Mm -hmm. for a decade. And so earlier I wrote a book called embodied hope Mm -hmm. under her encouragement to think about pain and suffering. And interestingly enough, I think that came out in like 2018, but it was after really thinking about lament and an honest assessment, you know, learning to be honest about pain and suffering. I also felt more able then to talk about the good of being a human creature Mm -hmm. and, and through reflecting on pain and suffering and Christians struggle to handle that. Well, it also helped me see how much we struggle to see anything good about being human. And, and you guys, you know, this is, you know, people interested sometimes in the reformed tradition who are, who are listening to you guys. Well, I think as a reformed theologian, we're really good about talking about sin and really bad about talking about the good of being a creature, mm, and so yeah, I'm very yeah. interested in exploring that for mm. our community. Yeah, yeah that's, that's that's
2: interesting. You bring that. I mean, even even reading the first chapter, I I was convicted because I'm I I I am I'm literally looking at my to do list right now. Yeah, on things that I want to read or things that I want to get through, and then at the end of the night, and my wife knows this all too well. Yeah, at the end of the night, if I don't get it done, I'm frustrated. If I wake yeah. up too late, I'm frustrated. If I yeah. If I, yeah. if I, if I don't get something done, I'm frustrated. So it's, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, we talk about our sin, but we don't, we don't really see like, no, I'm a, I'm a creature who, yeah. who sins kind of yeah. first and foremost.
0: Yeah. I mean, even areas like, um, at one point in the, in the book, I talk at, at length about rest and, and one of the fun areas to explore, this is near the end of the book, but deep as a theological idea. Um, I actually think sleep is a spiritual discipline. (laughs) Um, But it's a sign of how sideways we've gotten that we feel guilty needing sleep. In fact, you're weak. And the examples we tell from our pulpits and everything is someone who slept very little and they were up so early in the morning and they did so much during the day there's legitimate reasons to raise questions about some of that um, and what we're communicating to people. And anyways, I, yeah, I talk about sleep a lot, but there, yeah. there, the Sleep's reality, good. I like it. Yes. The reality of being a human creature and not feeling bad about being human, hmm. um, I think is more difficult for us than we realize. Hmm. Yeah. And those <clears throat>
1: reminders about us uh trying to do, accomplish everything and we're only given 24 hours in a day ever since uh, creation like we yeah. all all everyone's only had 24 hours in a day and i feel like especially in american context and i think at least myself and i know peter sounds like we're type a people and i'm sure a lot of people listening to the show are like nodding their heads like yeah, yeah, yeah. there's i just I, I'm just asked to do so much in a day. Yeah. How do I do it? I'm going to have to sacrifice sleep or something else. And so I feel like this is just a great uh, breath of fresh air mm. in this book, in this context of, especially in America, where uh, you feel like you have to be the best at everything. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's social media kind of putting the best People f- showing off the best version of ourselves. Yeah, uh, that's like, hey, I do it all. I always look perfect. I do it all. Um, so I don't know. Was it a? Was it? You said you've been thinking about this concept of of you're only human for a while. Was there a kind of a reason why you pulled the trigger to do to to write it now, or what are you kind of hoping that it immediately um, assuages or answers to? Um, just uh
0: people in general or just the, the church even too yeah i mean it, it for various reasons it was finally i had the space I, I received a grant and i was very thankful in god's providence that i could do this and um I, I guess one of the ways to put it is i've i've for a long time thought we really confuse finitude with sin <laughs> and finitude is a very fancy word yeah. but it just means limits and people will hear finitude and they instantly think death, but it doesn't have to mean death. It can mean, even in Oxford's dictionary, limited in time, space, knowledge, power, energy, yeah. right? And God made us as human creatures. And that's just how he made us even before their sin and fall. Huh, we, yeah. we were never made to know everything. We were never made to be everywhere. We were never made to have infinite energy. And even, you know, if I ask, hey, do you think you're God? We all know the right answer. Like, no, I'm not God. But actually we have these expectations of kind of infinitude rather than finitude for ourselves. Yeah. And um, kind of as Nick was was mentioning there and alluding to, I think this hurts us in all kinds of ways we don't anticipate or expect. For example, it makes us all very competitive. Mm. We, we constantly think. We need to be better. We need to grow. Well, let's use this as an example. One of the areas I ended up devoting a chapter to is what I think is a misunderstanding of humility, asking why should we be humble, right? And um, in the history of the church and various uh, forms of the church, including at times the the Reformed tradition, the basic answer tends to be the reason why you and I should be humble is because we're sinners. Well, I mean, I'm a reformed theologian. I, I think we're <laughs> sinners. I yeah. think we're bigger sinners than we even realize. However, yeah. I have also seen, including, we're especially in reformed circles, how sideways that gets. Hmm. And that people start to think self-loathing is a good thing. Mm. And, and, um, and so when you, I think the fact that we're sinners should contribute to the call for humility. Yeah. But I would argue, and I do in the book, Biblically and theologically, the reason we should be humble is not because we're sinners, or that's not the foundation for humility. The foundation for humility is that we're creatures. Mm -hmm. A different way of asking that is, even if there were no sin and fall, should we be humble? Mm -hmm. And the answer is yes, because as human creatures, we were designed to be dependent upon God, to be dependent upon others and to be dependent upon the earth and that hmm. dependence breeds humility it's meant to it's meant to cultivate gratitude praise of god appreciation of your neighbor so see and, and it's interesting in our culture the word dependence is pretty negative isn't it yeah it I yeah, mean, very i mean it's much so. super yeah and, and I, i'm not naive i understand about codependency and negative forms of dependence yeah. But actually, dependence and interdependence is a good thing. It's part of how God made us. Dietrich Bonhoeffer talks about this in the early 20th century. Um, before the fall, it, it will put it this way. What Bonhoeffer argues is it's not the dependence is not what sin doesn't bring dependence. Sin perverts the dependence. Hmm. And I agree with him on that, right? Sin is what makes us now, as Bonhoeffer would say, makes us now think, I either need to dominate you or I need to ignore you, hmm. right? Cause you're a threat to me. Yeah. But we were made not to dominate one another, but to delight in one another, to celebrate one another, to bring our gifts to bear in one another all before God and his grace. So anyways, humility is just an example. Yeah. If you don't appreciate the goodness of being a human creature it distorts our lives. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah.
3: Anyway, met-
0: That's a long reflection. No, on that that's, no, I, that's yeah. good
2: stuff.
1: Yeah. You're mentioning the humility was before the fall and sin. And that makes sense because, uh, the but what the fall and sin did was confuse it. And, yeah. and, the, and the lie of the devil in the garden, the first sin uh, was that we could try to be like God. Yeah. And that, that stems to this, like, Try to be like God. Where we're not, we're the the creator creature distinction. Yes, needs to be understood. It's like we're not ever, we were never God. Yep. We we're never we're creatures. Yeah. So that that makes a lot of sense. And you're talking about reformed. We're reformed, and so we believe in total depravity. But that doesn't need to mean total depression,
2: right? <laughs> yeah, totally.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's good. Yeah. I mean, even and, and it. This is not just kind of theoretical stuff. The difference this means is, if you don't realize this, the pastoral counsel we often give to people Mm -hmm. when they need to be humble is, "Look at how bad of a sinner you are," and that will help you be humble. Well, ironically, Mm -hmm. often what that does is it just breeds more self-centeredness. It just sounds spiritual because you're like, "Oh, I'm such a sinner. Oh, look at how bad I am." But notice who's still the focus? It's still you. Still me, right? Yeah. Whereas Pastorally, if you understand how God made us, one of the ways you can help people cultivate humility, not denying their sin, I'm not saying that, but is the spiritual practice of delighting in other people, Hmm. right? Learning to value other people and not view them as competition. I mean, it is amazing. Think about the last time you went out to dinner with another couple or or some other people or Hmm. talked. It is amazing how rare rare it is to be asked genuine questions by people hmm. i mean it is i just let your listeners people are like no no everyone asks questions pay attention it's <laughs> amazing because we all like to talk about ourselves but very few people will ask and listen instead of just waiting to jump in mm-hmm. and asking meaningful questions can be a way of cultivating healthy humility which with which births love. I mean, that is where love comes from. Hmm. So, anyway, yeah. I, I just think there are positive things we can do. We don't just have to do self-loathing, <clears throat> right? That's not the healthy option we should be pursuing.
2: Yeah, and, and something something you said struck me, and I, and I think you you made the distinction a little bit uh, without maybe stating it explicitly in the first chapter. I think you you basically play this out throughout the book. Is there seems to have been a confusion. Between our doctrine of human beings and our doctrine of sin yeah our, our doctrine we, we we assume those are two integrally integrally related before sin comes into the picture like oh humans are are finite because they're sinful human beings like no they're finite before they were sinful human beings and therefore <laughs> yes. post when we're in glory we'll still we'll be finite beings but we'll still yeah. be in glory so it's if I, i'm not sure if that was a, an explicit thing or like yeah. a like you're trying to work through this stuff but it does seem like what you're trying to do part of what you're trying to do is we're trying to separate these two things and say no let's let's actually talk about what it means to be human and yes there's yeah. sin that plays out in different aspects i don't know if, if you can kind of talk about how, how how you see finitude and sin as separate and how that plays out <laughs> in our humility
0: yeah i mean even even as nick was saying you know it's not total total depravity is not total depression well I mean, as you guys, I'm sure, know, total depravity just is originally meant to convey not utter depravity, not total depression. Mm-hmm. It's just meant in your totality, there's no part of you that sin has not affected. Mm-hmm. It's affected your mind, your will, your affections, your body, the whole thing. Having said that, that means your mind, your will, your body, your affections are meant to be good. Um, and yeah. It's funny, you know, in, in reform circles, people are like, Oh, don't trust your emotions, but then they really trust their brains. Right. Well, <laughs> that's you know, right. Yeah. Then it has affected the whole, you know, there, that's a whole nother discussion, but yeah. Um, so for example, how do we think about our bodies is a really important yep. example. Yep. Right. And, and our unhealthy views of our bodies, because it's, it's kind of two extremes of, you know, culturally, we kind of idealize and, and, the, bo- the body is the idol and it's everything and then on the other side it's belittle mm. our bodies and yeah. they're they're nothing and and people misunderstand paul when he talks about the flesh and think that that means physicality or something and but we don't our bodies aren't idols that we worship but they should not be belittled either and christians our are pretty temple. notorious yeah mm-hmm. and and so that's part of you know in the book i spent significant time exploring the incarnation the fact that the son of god becomes human and the, the the fact that god the father sends the son in the spirit to become man human is god's great yes to his creation right mm-hmm. and um part of where i'm you know if your listeners get nothing else one of the fundamental things i'm arguing is to make sure we reconnect that the creator is the same as the redeemer, Hmm. that the God of creation is the God of sanctification. And the things he valued originally are things he still values. Hmm. And so when we don't get that, it distorts how we think of spirituality and sanctification and those kind of things. So exploring the humanity of Jesus is very important in the book. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's maybe those also um, and going through some of the chapters
2: of the book that you, you talk about physical touch, you talk about time. Um, why can't he just change me And it? There, there seems to be and maybe in a lot of evangelical circles, kind of probably evangelical circles, there seems to be an assumption that creation's bad, and it's gonna be made yeah. good in the future, right? Instead of saying no creation was actually is it was, it was made good. Yeah. yeah, it's under the sin and curse, but that doesn't mean the creation itself is bad. So it seems like you're also working with this assumption throughout the book. So no, it's, let's let's re let's go back to creation as being good and we can enjoy creation. We can enjoy the what like what it's meant to be, what it's pointing us towards, versus just saying, no, everything that's that's not spiritual is just bad. And we, we just can't, we can't like anything that's physical, which goes back to ancient heresies from second and third century, it just seems like we're kind of rehashing again, that, that being finite and being created is, is not good. We have to be spiritual.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so for example, one of the reasons, as you guys were asking earlier, one of the things that the reason I have, have been thinking about this for two decades is my strong conviction that evangelicals, uh, whatever that term means these days, but evangelicals in North America, for example, um, I think have a very weak doctrine of creation. Yeah. Now, people are like, what do you mean? We, we, we debate about creation all the time. I say, what <laughs> Six do you, days what do you... versus, yeah, whatever. Exactly. I ask, what do you mean by creation? Yep. And everyone will say, what they're really arguing about is how God did it and when he did it, huh. which, I mean, that's fine. You can have those discussions, but they are not question number one, two, three, or four. Mm-hmm. They should come later. And the fact that they've dominated the discussion for 150 years has really hurt us, hmm. right? So, so take, for example, um, just to get really practical for listeners. In the original creation narrative, the spirit of God hovers over the waters and brings order out of the chaos. Okay? Over the Levohu, right? Over these <laughs> chaotic waters. Well, that same spirit is the spirit who is working in our lives to sanctify us.
3: <laughs>
0: the reason why that matters is, that means God has always been comfortable with process. Hmm. And we want to know if God doesn't want me to sin or if he doesn't like this character trait in me or whatever, why doesn't he just instantly change me? Yeah. God has always been comfortable in pro even if you're, even if you believe in six literal 24 hour day, young earth, whatever it is, even that still is process. <laughs> God who could have done it like that doesn't. Mm-hmm. Well, in our lives, you and I can grow very impatient and like, oh, I can't believe it. And it's helpful for us to go, you know what? God's not panicked. He's okay. He it's not that he likes my sin, but he is comfortable slowly working in us by his spirit through his word over time. And he's gonna, he who began a good work will carry it into completion. But yeah. that that is really helpful to start to recognize, Mm -hmm. I think. Mm
1: -hmm. Um, I'm not sure,
0: correct me if I'm wrong and that your book doesn't
1: focus on this part, but do you uh, talk about kind of going against the heresies of on one way, not a Gnostic understanding and on the other way, not a pantheism
0: understanding? Yeah, so uh, Gnosticism is an example For those who don't know, you know, Gnostics was this early church kind of heresy, misunderstanding um, that remains with us. I mean, people don't call it that nowadays, but it's basically one of the characteristics of Gnosticism was thinking that the material world, the physical world is bad. And what is really good is that which is spiritual. And um So, for example, in the book, I use Tertullian, who's an early church father, and he wrote this book called On the Flesh of Christ. And it's Mm -hmm. a great example. And he's attacking Gnostics. And what what I love about it is he focuses on the virgin birth and it's it's pretty graphic. And he's he spends time talking about things like afterbirth. And you're like, why? That sounds irreverent. (laughs) You know, what are you what are you doing? That's not very pious. And he what he's doing is he knows this will make the Gnostics squeamish. Hmm. Because to say that Jesus really matters and he's coming out with afterbirth is very unspiritual. That can't be good. And Tertullian's whole point is that's the beauty of God. That is how much God loves his creation, is that he doesn't think afterbirth is bad. Hmm. That's how he made it and it's good. And Jesus, as the incarnate Son of God, is God's great amen to his creation mm-hmm. it is his great yes to his creation and so what they what they do is they'll emphasize the birth of jesus and the physical bodily resurrection of jesus because <laughs> both of those are a strong affirmation of the goodness of god's creation yeah. as it was originally made and i think those you know it's interesting when we think virgin birth we think oh the reason that must be important is it shows the divinity of Christ, mm. <laughs> but yep. actually for the, for the early fathers, they often would emphasize it to say they're not de- denying the divinity yeah. of Christ, but there's, this shows the true humanity. He's born mm. of a virgin. This is a real woman. He really is human, mm-hmm. fully yeah. and completely human. And just to me, that's fascinating how we see that in a very different way.
2: Yeah. yeah. That's, yeah uh, it's something and I, you, you touch it again in the in the first part of your book and how these things play out in the second part of the book and it, it also seems the way the way we view Jesus's incarnation and the mm-hmm. way we view Jesus's two natures I think has a lot of effect on how we view ourselves. So if we yes, we absolutely. don't see that he's become both fully human so he nicked himself he he right. messed up he, which is not sin. Right. He took on finitude. He took on like Philippians right. 2. Said, he took on the form of a servant. Um it's a And that plays out in part two. So if you can talk a little bit more on how our view of the incarnation affects our view of ourselves as well.
0: Yeah. I mean, again, it's one of those things where if I ask you, do we believe that Jesus is human? People all say the right answer. Yes, of course. But it just takes a few questions that are uncomfortable that, you know, well, let's talk about Jesus going through puberty. How do you think about that? Like, what mm-hmm. do you, you know, and this is where people really do start to feel like, wait, are you not being reverent? And, and one of the legitimate questions people say, well, Kelly or whoever, Tertullian, why are you talking about that? The Bible never talks about afterbirth. Mm-hmm. The Bible never talks about puberty. Jesus going through puberty. What do you, and I remember when I was in England, this, this older woman, she said, mary was with child in other <laughs> words you know it was like she wasn't really pregnant she was very mm. uncomfortable with the you know um and john calvin had this very debate with mino simmons because mino simmons used some biblical language twisted it, but he he, he talked about the heavenly flesh of christ hmm. right and calvin went ballistic he's like <laughs> no 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 this isn't heavenly flesh and he said mary is it's not there's not a pod just put in her this is really her son right mm-hmm. and just as detrimental to our faith just as denying the full de- deity of christ was detrimental to our faith in our early creeds according to the early creeds just as problematic as denying his humanity yeah and um and i think it's very hard to detect because we treat it so spiritually but if you can explore the full humanity of jesus and you start to see how uncomfortable we are it does as you were mentioning peter it will expose our problematic views of our own humanity mm-hmm. and only if we start to appreciate the full humanity of christ can we start to think <laughs> of the christian life in more genuinely humane ways right? yeah yeah and, and and similarly i mean it's a similar kind of question we're very good at answering the question. Why did Jesus die? Mm
3: -hmm.
0: We're not very good at answering the question. Why did Jesus live? Exactly. Yeah. Mm. Right. And, and so Christians really struggle. I mean, they know, like I got saved. I prayed a prayer. I got saved. I know I'm going to go to heaven or I'm going to be part of the new creation, but what about, what about everything in between? (laughs) Yep. Yep. And we don't, often have great answers for that which i think is deeply problematic right um and anyways no no that's that's yeah i that's yeah
2: before before nick asks is is, Mm it's it's something that it's something that i've i've not been both wrestling with but kind of come to a new appreciation Mm -hmm. of christ and and you can say it like of his finitude on earth when he was when he was a human on earth he was finite and I don't think we take enough from his very, very human life, though he was fully divine. Right. His very human life on this earth that he cannot be at all places at one time. He cannot ma- ma- manifest itself in all places at one time. And I think we, when we see him, and we just see divine, and we just see this divinely kind of di- divinized human. I think that does, like you say in your book and like we're talking about right now, that does, it does play a big part. And well, maybe, maybe I should be doing more. Maybe, mm. maybe because Christ has done this, maybe I should do be, be doing this or right. um, maybe, maybe my humanity should be spread out further than it actually, than it actually mm. should be. Yeah.
3: Mm.
1: Yeah. I just love the doctrine of Jesus's two natures. I think I always did. And then becoming reformed has just fed me the information that clarifies the answer to, to really the doctrine of Jesus's two natures. And Paul even talks about how he's the firstborn and the first resurrected, and he has to be, be fully human to be our mediator. And the only way he could, you know, be our mediator is be flesh and bone, just like, just like us, like you were saying, but only God can not sin. So uh, he had to be fully God too. But I think it always just like, if I think about it enough, it always kind of brings a tear to my eye, just thinking that God himself, our creator became flesh and to, to, to relate to us on, you can truly say he's related to us on every level, every sense Because Jesus Christ even knew what it felt like to need to go to the bathroom or be thirsty yeah. or hot or cold or be uncomfortable, try to fall, be tired and fall asleep. There's a lot of passages in him being tired, you know? So, um, and, and, and yeah, yep. yeah yep. I mean, it just, it in our deepest sorrows, like we can understand God, our creator knows exactly
0: to our, uh, all five senses
1: exactly how we feel.
0: Yeah. I mean, and some of this is, I talk more about some of this in my book embodied hope, but mm-hmm. which is on suffering, but it, it's fascinating. And I don't want us to get, into too heady stuff about you know does God suffer kind of thing, but here's the short version. It's when you when you have Hebrews say that we have the sympathetic high priest, right, who um, knows what it's like. Well, actually, that's worth slowing down. I I, always, I often say you know my job as, as a theologian is simply to get people to read the Bible more slowly. Oh yeah. Right? So so here's the question. Does that mean that before the incarnation, God didn't know everything? Mm-hmm. I mean, God knew everything. So he had to know, in a sense, what it was. He knew how people were tempted and how it affected their body chemistry. And he, so God knew everything. So what in the world could that mean from in Hebrews? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, well, here's what's fascinating um, the early church talks about, uh, like Gregory of Nazianzus, you know. The son of God does not cease to be who he was, but becomes what he was not. He becomes fully human. Well, what Hebrews seems to be saying is God who knew everything now knows this like temptation from the inside. He now Mm -hmm. knows it as a man, Mm -hmm. which would not have been true before. Right. And so. um, Anyways, without. For, that but that's a remarkable kind of yeah. thing. The the radical nature of solidarity. God cannot bleed. God cannot sleep. God cannot die. But God in Christ, mm-hmm. becoming fully human, Jesus sleeps mm-hmm. because he's fully human. Although God never sleeps, Jesus can bleed and die, mm-hmm. which is an impossibility. I'm I'm a classic, you know I. I believe the ancient church on this stuff. I think it's biblical. I don't think, I think God becomes man in order that he might suffer and die. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean God is ab, you know, absent and far away and cold and unloving. It's actually meant to show the depth of his love <clears throat> that the God who can't die and bleed enters in, in order that he might. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and
1: Jesus was able to obey perfectly because he's
0: perfectly God too. Well, he is God, but he is obeying as, as a man, the incarnate yeah. man, yeah. right? Yeah. Without able ever to compromise. It. But the only reason I'm hes- or pausing there is it's like when we think of Jesus in the wilderness and the 40 days, and we think, hey, mm-hmm. he was tempted, but we're like, I mean, not really tempted, but he mm-hmm. seemed to be really genuinely tempted, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of like Anselm in the medieval ages when they asked, you know, could Jesus sin his answer was yes and no (laughs) right (laughs) and I know people that gets annoying but it's it it's kind of required you're dealing with this mystery here Mm -hmm. but if you say no he couldn't have it wasn't real temptation well that's that's a problem Mm -hmm. um so yeah anyway and and I think
2: we can as you as you transition from part one to part two i'm assuming chapter five we're talking about the incarnation and and how we how we are involved in this incarnation how we're how he takes on human flesh and becomes one of us but i'm assuming chapter five kind of talking about this and like how we see ourselves and how we see ourselves as humans or can i like kind of define myself can i identify as something else and and how I think there's been a lot more stuff that's been written over the last couple of years on identity as it relates yep. to our body, as it relates to who we are and who we see who we are. Um, and then that leads into dependence. Cause I think as we're embodied human beings, we depend on something else. And yep. we, it, so how, how, um, how does being human and being finite, how do these things, uh, and you talk about touch, which doesn't get talked about because um, whether it be sexual abuse or whatever it is, we, we, we think some of these things are taboo to talk about. Um, but how how does identity and our can we generate this? Is it given to us? How does this play into our human finiteness? Yeah, and then how does this relate to our dependence on the one who gives us identity?
0: Yeah, I think it's I think so that chapter uh, chapter five on uh, identity was fun and hard to write, um, and felt important to write in our time. Yeah, but part of the reason it was hard is because I actually think there are mistakes on pretty much both sides or all Mm -hmm. sides. Mm -hmm. Um, So we do live in a culture where, I mean, it's just shoved down your throat. You be whoever you want to be, make yourself, that kind of thing, but that's not new. That Mm -hmm. is existentialism where Mm -hmm. existentialism, which isn't really in vogue as a form of philosophy these days, but it is definitely still the air we breathe. And it's, you know, existence precedes that air you know, essence precedes existence and, or flipping it, Um, but (laughs) sorry, Sartre's whole point is that we just come in as blank slates and we've got to make our meaning. We've got to make ourselves and that, that cultivates this idea of self-forming. Well (laughs) now, but then you kind of have Christians and and we have, you know, tensions, um, sexual ethics and, and uh, race relations and some of these things. And then you have Christians who go, no, no, no. We reject all of that. Your identity is in Christ. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm a theologian. I think identity in Christ is central to what Paul is doing. I think it's central to the Christian life. But actually, I now, when I hear Christians in these conversations start to talk about identity in Christ, it now makes me super nervous hmm. because I've seen it weaponized. Yeah. And <clears throat> and I've also seen it show people talk about, well, your identity is in Christ. You're not, you're not an Asian American Christian. Your identity is in Christ. Hmm. Yep. Well, when that comes from someone like me, who's a white male in a dominant culture, that sounds really good because I have no idea how much I'm smuggling in of my own other forms of identity, yeah, right? Yeah. So you get, you get conservative, white, reformed Christians who are like, just have your identity in Christ, not in all this other political stuff. And then you're like, well, do you have any idea how much, say, Republicanism is part of your identity, but like mm-hmm. you don't know it because everyone around you assumes it. Mm-hmm. And so you don't think it's identity. You think it's just Christian, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Or, or all of these other things. Yeah, so, it's like
2: like that adjectival Christianity versus non-adjectival Christianity. Right.
0: And so absolutely, our identity is in Christ and that's gotta be central. But the mm-hmm. whole point of it is it subverts all other identities. But that does not mean I have to stop being an Asian American. Mm-hmm. It does not mean uh, that my family history shapes who I am, that uh, I have this kind of um, uh, biology and, and that I'm a man and I'm or I'm a woman. And so I think in on the one hand, you're like, you get to make whoever you are, which is just naive and untrue. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, you've got Christians who are spiritualizing things and acting as if Your family origin and history and geographical location, that doesn't matter. It's just belief in Christ. And so we're naive and have no idea how Mm. much we're smuggling in, Mm. which then distorts our view of union with Christ.
2: Yeah. So it seems uh, like there's, if you can call it, quote unquote, two poles where it's you self-define who you are and you create this, which is like this ever expanding. I have to do more. I have to be more. I have to post more. I have to show people this is who I want to be. And you have to affirm who I want to be. And then, kind of, the other side is no. I'm just found in Christ, which is a true statement. Right. But it's it's all encompassing. We're kind of that same like blending of doctrines. We've blended humanity with, uh, with Christ. We've, which yeah. is again true in a sense. We've we've. It seems like Christians were were just as at fault as quote unquote the other side. Um, we're blending yeah. these identities together versus seeing distinctness yet they're they're closely related.
0: Exactly. I mean it it, it or similarly people like don't don't have your identity in this and that and they're like how often is the identity that I hear most often is that I'm a sinner. Yeah. When actually biblically Christians the identity you're supposed to have is that you're a saint. Yep. You know, and we're super we're like I'm I'm a sinner 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 and they're like well that's not exactly the way Paul. I mean Paul never denies we're sinful yeah, you know, that we struggle with sin but that's not your identity mm-hmm. you and I are saints and we should live accordingly right hmm. um but anyways yeah I think that's there's there's a fun exploration of the uh, I'll just say this for for your listeners and readers um you got to read the chapter because it's just a fun exploration of the yeah. importance of our belly buttons <laughs> you know, like our belly yeah. buttons have huge theological yeah I've, I've read yeah. stuff
2: on belly buttons before yeah. weirdly <clears throat> there you They're, go it's pretty fascinating yeah to, to learn yeah absolutely so so to uh i want to see
1: if i'm understanding what you're saying too uh because i agree with it i just want to see if this, yeah, this no, is a good fine. definition so identities are good and everything as long as your identity is not your idol except
0: your identity in christ well it's 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 not even whether they're good or bad. We just all have identities. It's Mm -hmm. the the point is more identity is quite a complicated, multi-layered reality. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so part of what we need to do is raise our awareness of that factor. Right. Um, take for I use Bonhoeffer quite a bit in that chapter, but you know, even like, who am I? The reality of self-knowledge is incredibly difficult. And in some ways we want to cultivate better knowing of ourselves, but in other ways, I mean, I work with college students all the time. One of the things that happens when they're in college is they're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I did that. Or I can't believe I think because they're discovering they don't even, you know, perfectly know themselves. <laughs> yeah. That's, and it's finitude tells you not simply that we can't know everything about everyone else. It even means our self-knowledge is fairly limited, mm-hmm. right? And so, so take, for, take identity, for example. Historically, and in much of the globe to this day, identity comes primarily through your tribe, your family, your um, uh, occupation, mm-hmm. your geographical location. That is what shapes and forms identity. So in other words, it comes from looking outside of you. In the West, that sounds weird to us. We think identity comes purely from looking within, right? Yeah. And Christians, the Christian perspective is there's some truth in both of those, Hmm. but neither of them alone is sufficient, Mm -hmm. right? So, um, yeah, it's trying to look through uh, some of that. And I think it's liberating, actually, to, to think about.
2: And that's, yeah. you made that, you made that point, which I think is maybe antithetical to current culture where the dependence and fititude is a good thing. Yeah. Um, and I like, I, as, as I say that it's hypocritical even to myself, because that's not necessarily true of like how I, how I live and how I, how sure. I think it's, and you talk about it in your, in your book too. That's something that you've struggled with Yeah. as well. And then there's this, yeah, there's this, yeah, there's this tension, not tension. There's a, there's an antitheticalness to this where um yeah we want it like maybe too is it is it and i'm sure those who are listening is it is it bad knowing our finitude is it bad to want to pursue more is it bad to want to do more or to work harder at a certain thing and is this is this against my finitude is this against what what god
0: is calling me to do is it it, does that make sense yeah 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 i mean it's it's a pretty common question because in some ways people are like, oh, that's great. And then depending on personality or whatever, at some point it occurs to me, like, wait a minute. Does that mean <laughs> I should never try hard? Like, yeah. can I never be an athlete and push yeah. my body? Can I never, you know, and that's definitely not what I'm saying and, and not the point. Um, but it is trying to figure out what does that look like? Yeah. Um, so, for example, near the end of the book, I give some hints about, you know, there's an extended pastoral you know, chapter really trying to be super practical. Mm-hmm. How do you cultivate a healthy view of finitude? And it's partly w- one of the examples that I explore is the importance of rhythm, right? <laughs> well, you can, I work with college students. You can cram, you can work really hard during finals. You can do some of that. You can occasionally have a sleepless night. But when you try and live like that, it destroys you. Right. Um, and, you know, it's it, I know you can't actually chart such things, but if you could, you could just chart sin going up at different times in the semester as people are getting more tired and stressed out and anxious. Right. Or you take an entrepreneur who it definitely takes a ton of extra energy and time to start a business or whatever. And there there could be a season for that. But if a season turns into a way of life, what you will find is. That if, if you are just constantly maxing yourself out, you will find you physically will start to, you just can't make, I just, there's a new book out by a former anchor for CNN and some others. And she's in her thirties and she, what drove her to this is she just realized her body was given out, mm-hmm. right? She was living the dream. She was doing all these things and it was destroying her. Cause you just can't work on high all the time. You can't be, you know, we now know soldiers when you're in the battlefield, you can be on high alert for a while, but when that moves from episodic to a lifestyle, it destroys them. <clears throat> it actually has massive consequences. This is the whole, the, the, the New York times bestselling book, which is really interesting, but called the body keeps the score written Mm, by the psychologist the whole point is whether we realize it or not these things get stored in our body and they will have a say now he's Mm -hmm. thinking primarily of trauma Mm
3: -hmm.
0: but um anyway so 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 it's not about it's not about can you work hard should we push ourselves but without getting into the complexity of the whole thing i would say you should do that in community you need Mm -hmm. people who tell you you know what you've done enough you need to, you need to stop working. You need to turn on ESPN. You need to go for a walk. You need to sleep. You need to do these kind of things. Um, given some of the things we've all talked about, I'm, I'm, I love efficiency. I love productivity. I think efficiency and productivity can be the enemy of love. And it's sobering to realize that. I mean, even think about the way we read the Bible. We're like redeem the time. And we don't even realize how much we're hearing that in light of kind of a capitalist economy and western individualism and it's about using every single moment for productivity Mm -hmm. well that is a very contemporary western interpretation there Mm -hmm. (laughs) um and it makes things like prayer difficult because prayer doesn't seem very efficient Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. not very productive Mm -hmm. so even christians including pastors it's very hard to justify spending substantial time in prayer hmm. and that should be telling us oh my gosh we've we've yeah. really gone sideways no that's that's totally true that's and, and again i think it goes back to some
2: of the points that you're making without a strong doctrine of the goodness of creation the goodness of our bodies we lose a lot of dependency even though i don't think we we don't we don't necessarily think it that way we we, yeah. we think the more spiritual I am, the less that I think of my body. The more I'm connected with God, I'm connected with right. these things, versus saying, "No, actually, the way that God made us was was physical human beings." Yeah, um, and that's 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 how we depend on Him in a, in a very real sense.
0: Let me let me give you guys one other example um, that might be helpful for you. So, take for example Matthew 25. Matthew 25 includes a section on the sheep and the goats, yep. right? Yep. And when you actually just exegete that passage without drawing on all of these other places from scripture, as you know, when the sheep and goats are separated, the thing that separates them is what they did mm-hmm. and what they did to the prisoner, to the marginalized, these, you know, these, these people in need, right? And Jesus says, you know, the sheep go to heaven because they did these things. And as they did them, they did it unto me and the goats go to hell because they didn't. Well, I'm reformed and I believe in salvation by grace alone and Christ alone, by faith alone. And so, you know what we do with that passage? We ignore it. Mm. And we, and, and I hear it, especially in these political politicized times, people like, well, no, I mean, let's not be social gospel. Let's not, you know, let's not Mm -hmm. make it about materially poor people. Well, I'm just to be honest you cannot read from Genesis to revelation without seeing God's heart for the widow, the poor, the marginalized, mm-hmm. et cetera. Absolutely. And, you know, so mm-hmm. read, read Brian Fickert and I wrote on becoming whole and we explore that biblically if you're interested, but anyways, mm-hmm. so, so having said that then you get people with a sensitive conscience who are like, Oh my gosh, what do I do? because, you know, I had a, a friend who called me from California, he's in ministry, and he is a godly man, and he just said, Kelly, Matthew 25, I just don't even know if I'm a Christian, and we were like, oh, you just didn't need to study assurance of faith, this guy's been to seminary, he studied it all, mm-hmm. he's actually taking the scripture seriously, and so the let me circle back to what we're talking about. Here's what I would tell him. And here's what wire this whole idea of dependence and our humanity and connection matters. I will. And there's a whole chapter on the church and the importance of yep. the church. I will say it takes the entire church to be the one body of Christ. Yep. And so the answer isn't that prisoners don't matter. Widows don't matter, etc. But neither does it mean that I, as an individual, must do all of those things. Hmm, okay. You see, today, I am caring for prisoners in my local jail, hmm. and I'm evangelizing in Nepal, and I am helping recovering people who've been sex trafficked, and I am uh, you know, praying for a child in the hospital. I'm doing all of those things not because I'm doing them, but because mm. I'm connected to the people of God, mm. right? And, and there is this connect that's part of union with Christ, both connected to him and to one another. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and so what happens is when, we're, when we see the depth of problems, we're overwhelmed. But actually, if you see the depth of the problem and realize I don't have to do it all, but I am invited by God to participate in meaningful ways, so, what are my gifts? What are my abilities? What's my actual location and time and space? How can I serve? Then we're liberated to actually love and serve. Mm-hmm. And 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 it avoids the two extremes of just complete activism that crushes people on the one hand. And then on the other hand, pretending that God doesn't care about these things and they're not really relevant, right? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. That's
3: yeah. just an
0: yeah. example. We need each other. We need the church. Yep. Yeah.
1: <clears throat> and before my last question, I, there was something that you mentioned earlier that uh, I, I kind of jotted down some notes and it was, um, I don't know if you directly said this, but just the, the God instructs us to uh, do the Sabbath. Mm-hmm. And that is to take a break from efficiency, productivity. Oh. That was your comment about It's kind of like almost the opposite of love, even though it's a good things, but if you do only that, we don't take a break and rest in leisure time and love and just rest and enjoy God's love and creation for us. And I think that's what some of the importance of Sabbath is. Absolutely. Hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So it's, it's I'm sorry, go
1: ahead. No, no, no. That that was a pause. Go ahead.
0: Yeah. (laughs) At the very end of the book, I do, when I talk about sleep, I also talk about Sabbath and it's interesting because in certain reform circles, um, some people listening to this may get this. When you talk about Sabbath, it just becomes this debate and it's yeah. legalism and it doesn't, you know- How much can
2: we do? How much can we not do?
0: Right, right. But it's fascinating to me because of the various circles I work in. When I'm talking to a broader, say evangelical audience, you know, they've read, they've heard about the Sabbath. And they, but when you actually tell Christians, do you know one in seven days you don't need to work. They're like, there's no way. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, you're not serious. And, and uh, here's an example. I teach at a Christian college. College students, Christian college students feel guilty for not studying on Sunday. Yep. They actually feel like they're dishonoring God because they're being weak. They're not being whatever. And, and to go, no, 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 just so you know, you need a day that's different than your labor a day to worship with God's people a day to enjoy his creation a day to rest and re, you know all, all those kind of things let's I understand I'm a theologian I get all this baits but when you yeah. move away from the legalism stuff and just talk about it as a promise and as life-giving yeah oh my gosh it's such a gift right people <laughs> just can't they think it's scandalous
2: yeah and no, that's and that's yeah maybe yeah, as we kind of close this out it's It is a command. It's in the Ten Commandments. He's telling us, but it's also like it's also him. It's also God telling us, don't touch that electrical shock, that that socket, because you're going to shock yourself. And we're like, oh, that's a legalistic command. Why are you telling us to to, to stop doing (laughs) it? No, no, this is actually this is really good for us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is good for us to hear him say, please rest. No, actually, I'm commanding you to rest because that's how you enjoy me. That's how you. That's how you fully live out your human life throughout those the six days. Um, glorifying me because you're not breaking down throughout the week. I think there's some good wisdom in that stuff too.
0: Yeah, and I really mean this when I say I actually think the reason why embracing our finitude, understanding our humanity, these things that I'm talking about matter, comes down to love. Mm-hmm. It really mm-hmm. does come down to love, and we know. And you even have non Christians now talking about this all the time how incredibly difficult it is for people to be present with one another. Mm -hmm. And part of what we need to do is cultivate the ancient Hebrew idea of the fear of the Lord, which is fundamentally, you can read the book for more details, but it's fundamentally about growing in your awareness of God's presence. And as we grow in our awareness of God's presence, god is present with us it actually slows us down and we start to be more present with our neighbors Hmm. there's it's again love of god and love of neighbor is all interrelated so there is a certain pace to life i definitely know there are times we need to work super hard and go super fast i'm not against that but there is a humane there's a reason the word humane grew right (laughs) you can only go so hard and so fast for Hmm. so long Yeah. yeah Yeah, and if
1: you don't mind, that my last question is going to be a quick answer. I'm sure. So, uh, it's it's more of a reflection question. Uh, is it hard to be a follower of God, our Creator, if we aren't accepting the fact that we are dependent on God, our Creator?
0: Yeah, I think it's impossible. Right. right. <laughs> this is part of. This is why it's actually very difficult to be a Christian in the West because we have been shaped, catechized <laughs> in a sense. yeah in the idea you're an autonomous individual and if you need anyone or anything <clears throat> else, it's weakness and it's a problem. Mm-hmm. And Christianity fundamentally says you are always made to need God and other people and the earth. And until you get that, the faith is just cognitive. It's It's not something else. So yeah, until we see, he is our creator. It's very difficult to have a biblical view of him as our redeemer.
2: Yeah. And that's and that, what, what you're just saying. There's there's a book I've been reading. Um, I, I try to read theology, but I also try to read a, a lot of non-theology stuff. But, Good. Um, Sapiens from Yuval Harari. I don't know if you've oh, heard yeah, yeah, of that yeah. stuff. Uh-huh. Um, but he actually makes precisely the opposite point that you just did, which is this is the point of being a human is... Uh, or at least kind of historically point of being human was that you pillaged and that you took over and that you did all these things that were right. It's, it's, it's such an interesting, it's, it's interesting to see, like or hear theologians talk about, no, this is, this is how Christians, but it like, it really is antithetical to what culture tells us to do.
0: Um,
2: And kind of as, as we, as we end this out um, and you, you end this, you end your book with, with the church, how do we faithfully live out our finitude? So, maybe as, as an end off after reading this. And I think a lot of people are very used to reading books. Like how can I put this in the practice? I'm going to, I'm going to work right. hard and put this stuff into practice in a, in a sense, how, how can they, <laughs> with, with a view of their finitude, as you mm-hmm. talk about in your book, how can they put your book into practice?
0: Yeah. I mean, there's the short answer is you have to read the book. Cause there's just a lot of practical yep. pastoral yep. examples, yep. Um, whether it's things like actually, and I write about this because I struggle with it, but getting a, a right view of sleep and trying to think about mm. sleep theologically is, is an example or Sabbath, mm. but also things like rhythm, uh, things like how should we relate to the church? Mm. How do we think about um, our sin? And you know, when I was talking earlier, how do we approach our struggle with sin and and process and what God is doing? Mm. Um there's a chapter on our relationship to time. And I think it's a good example of trying to think through, I mean, these are very practical. We don't even know how, again, I just launch us into something else, but just as an example, (laughs) part of my research that was so fun to get into that I hadn't anticipated was studying clocks and the history of the development of how time is conceived. And we (laughs) tend to think of what's called not we live in what's called non-contextual time which means it's because of technology basically you mm-hmm. and i it can be 11 30 at night and we can turn on the light open up our computer mm-hmm. yeah. and we have time mm-hmm. so we have an hour of work we can do it at 11 30 at night well the reality is our body chemistry is telling us something else mm-hmm. right there are the circadian rhythms there is and for most of the history of the world and still over a lot of the globe, there are all these other indicators, which are called contextual things that shape our views of time. Anyway, yeah. there's just there's just lots of yeah. attempts to try and be practical throughout. Yeah, the world. no, that's
2: and that's um, uh, Truman's book on uh, the rise and triumph for the modern self yep. t- has a little bit of a section in um, another book that I was reading, had a section on the invention of the stopwatch. Yeah. The invention yeah, yeah. of the wristwatch. Yeah. Um, really kind of changing our view of who we are and do we actually control yes. our surroundings with the industrial revolution coming around and yeah can we control what we do and i, I think your your book is a is a helpful both corrective but also reflection yeah. on saying can can we really define what we do as or mm. are do we obviously keeping in, in mind our our context our traditions and stuff and not not shoving those to the side like you said and, and just taking on christ and say oh we're just we're just in christ and that consumes everything else as if we're nothing else, but um, right. just walking little Christ pieces on this earth. But I think it's, it's a good, it's a good reflection reading through this. And I, we've had more of these books on recently on our show But um, mm-hmm. I think your average reformed person is not going to go and grab and say, Oh, I need, I need to read this book. That's not on Calvin's doctrine of the Sabbath, whatever it is. Right, 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 These are, these are some good things that I think people need to be thinking about. Like you it's if we're not reflecting on our finitude, then um, we kind of make ourselves a little bit of like a little gods we're, we're walking around little gods.
0: Yeah. I mean, just one last quick example would be, how do we think about our different personalities? Hmm. Do you need to become an introvert? If you're an extrovert, do you need to become an extrovert? Hmm. If you're, you know, whatever, how, how does God think about different personalities? Well, again, if you think that God actually likes what he made hmm. and he's interested in renewing what he made, he doesn't like the sin that's distorting it. Mm-hmm. Then we can create space for different personalities and those mm-hmm. kind of things, and that's very difficult for Christian leaders because we tend to talk about things and then project our own personality and say this is what godliness looks like mm-hmm. without realizing it. Um, and that's a problem, yeah. and that's yeah. a problem with misunderstanding finitude. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we're, we're,
2: we're in a sense, we're retrieving our doctrine of man and we're saying what, what actually what actually is man and is being person. Is that the same thing as being a sinner or is it just you're, you're finite and you sin, um, obviously because we're sinners, but yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot of good stuff in this book. I mean, both, both Nick and I are reading through this and we, we encourage those to go to the link, buy this book, reflect on this, reflect on your finitude. And, um, Mm -hmm. yeah. So thanks, thanks for coming on talk about your book a little bit, talk about your research. Got Um, yeah, it's, it's not, it's not like I said it's not books I think Christians really go to we go to the we go to the stuff that makes us more quote unquote spiritual but I think in a sense this this does do that this this mm-hmm. connects us with God and his intention for us oh yeah. yeah this
0: is in many it's not a it's not meant to be a quick read I mean there are plenty yeah. of stories and that kind of thing but it is it is a book in spiritual formation so to speak mm-hmm. I mean yeah. it is it is trying to show why theology matters to our lives mm-hmm. in deep and profound ways. Yeah. And I'm trying to fight this idea that <clears throat> it's either theology or pastoral, but that these go together. Yeah, yeah. no, yeah. no <laughs> we can um, we can be humans. Yeah.
1: If I have one last comment too, is uh, I, th- I think I, I, I at least attempt to do this. Like I try in my mm. finite way. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in, in my daily prayer life, uh, the the acronym ACTS, when it yeah. comes to praying, uh, I acknowledge God as a creator, as yeah. our creator first, to put that perspective of I'm, I'm creation, I'm finite, you're God, and then go into confessing my sins and then thanksgiving and then supplication.
0: Yeah, no, that's a great example. I do think an example like using acts as a format for prayer really can help people in these ways, whether they realize it or not. Mm-hmm. And, and, and once you start to appreciate it, then you realize, oh, I can spend a lot of time on A, I don't need to just <laughs> run to S, right? Yeah. Um, each part of those things are about the relationship between creator and creation
2: yep yeah absolutely yeah well thanks for coming on it's been a pleasure and yeah we we hope more read this and and more reflect on their finitude and the pastoral implications the theological implications of all these things and and think more of of who they are and and who they are in christ
0: so thanks for coming on you got it thank you thanks guys thank you hey guys we hope
1: you enjoyed that episode of our podcast guilt grace gratitude and we as we've said before we are bridging the gap to reformed christian theology for your listening pleasure so we would like to make sure this is enjoyed by others around the world and how to best do that is rate and review us on itunes
2: yeah and you after you rate a review or instead of written review or doing everything all at once, retweeting us on Twitter, liking us on Twitter, liking us on Instagram, following us on both of those platforms, because that actually puts in front of people's physical face, this podcast, these guests, and most importantly, the gospel, the doctrines uh, that these guests are, are bringing in front of you guys. So please do that. It helps get in front of more people.
1: Amen. And hopefully you guys are part of a local church and you're tithing and, uh, after that, after tithing, if you have any means left over, please consider donating to us to make sure our bridge is well paved and maintained and strong and sturdy. As again, we bridge the gap to reform Christian <laughs> theology. Exactly. The yeah,
2: and you guys can find that <laughs> link on Anchor, our official Anchor website. If you just go on um, our social media links, it'll it'll link you to that website. It's also at the bottom of these this podcast show notes if you're on this podcast a specific episode scroll all the way to the bottom of that show notes and you guys will find a link for this for three different options of donating so we hope you guys can help us bridge the gap pay for shipping get nicer stuff all for the focus of spreading the gospel further yep all for the kingdom of
1: god thanks so much guys we'll see you guys
2: next time